0: Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparence Entertainment Group. I focus on world X usa neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hi, and welcome back to Money in the Air, the neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. Today, we have Amy Jackson, wife of the late trumpet player Wayne Jackson and founder of Amy Jackson Consulting, championing services to musicians on how to find and collect on their unclaimed royalties. Hi, Amy.
2: Hi, Andrew. Thank you all for having me. I'm uh, coming to you from Memphis, Tennessee, birthplace of rock and roll, home of the blues. I am the beneficiary of my late husband, Wayne Jackson, the late great trumpet extraordinaire, original member of the Stax Records house band horn section, co-founder of the legendary Memphis Horns, along with saxophone partner, Andrew Love, and 2012 Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award winner. During his four decades in the industry, Wayne played on 52 number ones, 83 golden platinum records, 110 top tens, and literally thousands of songs. Here are a couple you may recognize. Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, Sweet Caroline, Hold On, I'm Coming, Suspicious Minds, Son of a Preacher Man, Sledgehammer, Mustang Sally, Think, In the Midnight Hour, Soul Man, Roll With It, Angel of Harlem. We could be here all night, but you get the gist. Wayne and I met and married in 1990. We had a 24-year age difference, which is important to remember when we get a little further down in the story. So we didn't look great on paper, but boy, we were written in the stars. During our 26 years together, I worked as a litigation paralegal, and that legal background helped me navigate in the music business, royalties in particular. My journey with royalties, when I look back, began in the early 90s. There was a television show here in the U.S. called Ally McBeal, and they were using Al Green songs left and right and Wayne is on all the Al Green songs and there was no money arriving that sweet mailbox money we love to call it this would have been from the American Federation of Musicians new use department so I called out there and remember this is before the internet to inquire where was the money and they put me on hold and came back and said we don't have Al Green in our system I, I thought okay and I said well can you explain your system to me And they did, and that began my understanding of all of this. Fortunately, we got paid on all of that. Everybody did because Robert Gordon wrote the liner notes for the Al Green Anthology and correctly listed all the contributors. So I copied that, sent it out to New Use, and money began to flow. My takeaway from this experience was that we were going to have to be so proactive. We were going to have to step up. In 2002, we registered Wayne with a company out of the UK called Pamra. And this was for a foreign collection. I don't remember how we got to them. I don't remember if they got to us, and I don't recall the word neighboring rights being used at all. We didn't see any money. And then in two thousand seven, PPL acquired Pamra, so we got rolled into PPL. That's how we arrived there. No money. And then in the fall of two thousand ten, that's when the first distribution came, and it was nice money. We were really pleasantly surprised. And from that quarterly royalty money started. This was about 2010. Wayne started having health problems, and so I wasn't paying a lot of attention to what was in the PPL account as far as the song titles. He passed away in 2016, and then I began going through all the different beneficiary processes with BMI, BMG. Andrew actually helped on my case with BMG. AFM, all the different ones, and when I got to PPL, I thought you really need to deep dive into his repertoire. There were 1,500 song titles. Which sounds like a lot, but not for Wayne. And I thought print the whole thing out and I did it filled an entire notebook. I started looking at all of that and either, you know, the algorithm, the staff, the whatever had done a really good job connecting him to Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding and Al Green songs, but there were huge gaps. And I thought, God, I've got to shore up this database. And you know, the beauty of PPL is you can do that. I had done nothing to get these 1,500 titles there. But I, you can go in and claim your songs. I got my liner notes out. I'm on the eternal quest for liner notes. And I started in. And once I got that done, I actually woke up one day and I call these things cosmic pushes. And it was just this huge feeling that I needed to get over to our local musicians building. So it's the local American Federation musicians. They have contracts now, not all the contracts because they've been thrown away and all kinds of tragic stories over the years. But I thought, go do that because this building was old and in disrepair. And if there was a fire, all that evidence would be gone. So I did. They told me they didn't have enough money for extra paper. So I took my own paper and away I went. And this was quite an undertaking. I ended up copying over 300 contracts with Wayne's name on it. So each contract is three to four songs. So I was armed with another over 1,500 song titles that I would have never in a million years known. And during this process, because it took several days, I would come out of that building and just think, I need to be paid to do this. But sometimes in life, you're the only one for the job. And I thought just, you're going to have to trust, just have faith that this is going to pay off in ways you can't even imagine. So thrilled to report it has. When I finished this, I thought, send it to the AFM to new use, AFM SAG And then this was my roadmap for PPL. I thought, I don't know other people's organizational skills. Mine are spectacular. So go ahead and do it totally correctly. So I organized all the contracts by artists and had my little tabs and it was a thing of beauty. And everyone was blown away who received this. And then I started in with PPL. And so the evidence requests were flying, you know, and then I had the evidence. So finished that. I didn't start seeing results at first with PPL, but over time you can see that this is a very worthwhile endeavor. And certainly with U.S. side, Sound Recording Special Payments Fund, that's how we get paid for samples, the musicians. And it was really exciting to open that statement up and go, oh, wow, you know, we, we're getting paid on stuff we would have never gotten paid on. After I completed that part with PPL, I then turned to Wayne's first band, The Marquise. This song, it's called Last Night, it was an instrumental number two, and and it launched his career. It was put out on stacks. And it's a great example of how things can fall off the radar screen. That was done way back when a whole lot of life and other things have gone on. We finally tracked that down, I think in 2000, to fantasy, acquired the masters. It's itty bitty money. And then again, life happens and it falls off the radar screen. So I thought, well, you've got to do this. you got to get this. Backed it all down. I've got great connections. And the statement came. So it's for the marquees, for that song last night. There was $64,000 sitting there from film and TV licensing. Next to everybody's name, Wayne was the only original marquee that was actually recorded on that. The rest of them were older session guys. And next to all of their names correctly listed it said unknown, meaning no account. And I'm like, oh my God, I know Smoochie. And yeah, I know Floyd. One guy was 86 years old. I'm like, I've got to get these guys their money, which I did, about $9,000 each. And it was so fun. It was like being part detective, part good fairy. They just couldn't believe it. It would take multiple phone calls for this to sink in. I've decided I'm not going to ask for a finder's fee. I'm doing this in honor of the song that launched Wayne's career in 1961. And damn, if it wouldn't be the song that launched my new career in 2018, Amy Jackson Consulting was born because people then began asking if I could help them find their royalties. Little did I know I was developing an area of expertise that so many people need. Back to the age difference, so a lot of my clients are turning 80 and most of them are in their 70s and 80s and I've known most of these people, not all of them, but a lot of them for 25 to 30 years because of that age difference and and Wayne played on almost everybody's music. So it's really cool. It's a great personal connection. And I just love it. So that is what I do. And my people, they're not just here in Memphis. You know, I've got people all over. So many of them, they've got no one to stand up for them, no one to be their advocate, no one who knows what on earth to do. And I'll give an example, a vocal group called the Masqueraders. I love these guys. They actually were on America's Got Talent, and they're all about in their 80s. So when they got to me, they didn't know who had their publishing. They didn't know who had their masters. They didn't know, never heard of sound exchange, You know, certainly not neighboring rights. Found everything, got them all hooked in. And they're actually making pretty good money. So it's just great. And so my people are always relieved that somebody in the mix knows what on earth they're doing. Same thing with the the beneficiaries, because I am a beneficiary. I have been through all these processes. I can get my people through in a great way and um, take the stress off them. And then the companies that I'm dealing with, they certainly love dealing with me because I know what I'm doing.
0: Thank you very much for sharing your story. And I'm glad that we had worked together in the past when I was at BMG. That's amazing. And furthermore, yeah, you're absolutely right. There are so many people, especially elderly musicians that don't have They were never given this amount of knowledge, and it just gets even more confusing over time. As companies get acquired, catalogs shift in different places, I really do respect the service that you're providing for the community.
2: Well, thank you. Let me tell you one story. This is a great story. One guy came to me and he said he was in a vocal group for two years in the 70s. And he said, Amy, another person that had been in the group was getting money and he wasn't, and he didn't understand why. And he was on this out, he was on two albums, but then the band pushed him out. He wasn't with them the whole time. So I called out there to Concord and they said he's not on the original liner notes. So I went back to my client and said, you know, the only thing that's gonna trump liner notes is a contract and from 1972, what are the chances? But I told him to scour his home and damn, if he didn't come up with a contract, there's his name. And it was so wonderful. So I did a whole timeline on the releases and I sent that out there and sent the contract and they were shocked and had to refigure everything. And I got to call that guy and say, you're going to check for $30,000. Tell that story to current music makers and everyone. Keep A copy of every contract you ever sign in this industry, you know, producers, engineers, everybody, keep that contract, backing vocalists, it's so important, and that can bring good rewards, one never knows.
0: A lot of the times people focus on the top songs of the catalog because it can be very vast, but... We do know that with older catalog songs, they're popular with film and television, with sync activity. Yes. So all it takes is for one use of that song and some trailer or something, and all of a sudden a publisher, a label, whoever it is has like $30,000 payable, but nobody to pay.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: You never know which is the song, which is the one song that's going to make you money. You just cannot tell that it's um And that's what makes it a little bit exciting, actually, about what we do. Amy, I love your description of detective and good fairy. I feel like that so much, part detective. Never thought of myself as a good fairy, but I'm going to take that from you. And if people ask what I do, (laughs) I love that. So thank you very much. And the information you've given here is just incredible. If there was an artist out there who's listening to this podcast who has never heard of neighbouring rights, who's never heard of collection societies, who has no idea, that this income is due to them. What one bit of advice would you give that person? What would you suggest they do?
2: They need to get with somebody who can help them through this some people can handle it by themselves but a lot of people they just need help there's a lot of information to go through and just from what
1: you've been saying fantastic in that area you're organized and you know where to look and you know where to source it or did you do that certain people like representatives find it absolutely fascinating to is what we do track down royalty income so yeah you know for somebody who has a big repertoire don't be put off by this mammoth task there are people out there who will help you but equally so you can do it yourself as Amy has just proved.
0: Thank you so much, Amy. That was lovely. We really respect the work that you're doing and it's because of professionals like you that our musicians receive the income due to them. And thank you to our listeners. If you like what you heard, please visit us at www.iafar.co.uk and become a member to have all of your questions answered and access to our incredible team of representatives. Bye for now.